Welcome to another amazing conversation on the Pace and Freedom, a Liberty Caster podcast, and I am your host, James Pace. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe to this podcast, which you can find on many podcatchers like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, and many more. Take the time to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter and our Instagram, and find all the links in the description below. Today we have Vice Presidential Candidate Spike Cohen. We discuss his journey leading up to his nomination and what is the path forward for him and Dr. Joe Jorgensen. Of course, make sure to check out my friends at Liberty Caster, a network of content dedicated to be free and independent. With five amazing podcasts and growing, you can find news, interviews, talk shows, and more. Shout out to Torch News with Jake and Brandon, The Exchange Podcast with Kevin Warmhold, Radio Free New York with Kevin Wilson, Voice of Liberty with Henry Connolly, The Commander's Table with Ken Armstrong, Liberty Rant with Larry Sharp, and soon to be more shows for your independent and freedom fix. Before we get started with today's conversation, I want to talk about Cash App and how you can get $5 or more for free. Cash App is the easiest way to transfer and receive money between friends and family. You can also make purchases with your free Cash App debit card anywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. With Cash App, you can also purchase and sell stock in the stock market for as little as $1 with no fees. You can also purchase and sell Bitcoin. How to earn your free $5? Download the Cash App from your App Store and sign up using the referral code in the description and $5 automatically goes onto your account. Want to earn more than $5? Refer your friends and family to sign up by inviting them from your Cash App. And for every one person that signs up, you earn $5 for free. Now, without further ado, enjoy this conversation. As mentioned earlier, I have Spike Cohen, the vice presidential candidate running on the Libertarian ticket. And what a great privilege and honor it is to have you on today on the podcast and this is a great opportunity to have you discuss what is going on with the campaign. Dr. Jorgensen was on my show last week, and we only got to have a brief discussion. But today with you, I think we get to expand more on what both of your plans are. And considering that I have a more diverse listenership than other Liberty podcasts, I think it's just a wonderful platform to share your vision with others. So go ahead, Spike. Give us your introduction. Okay. Hey, everybody. My name is Spike Cohen, and I am the Libertarian Party vice presidential nominee, along with my uh, running mate, Joe Jorgensen. We are running for president and vice president of these United States, representing the Libertarian Party. Nice. And once again, welcome to the the podcast. It's a great honor and privilege to have you and, and Joe on the podcast. It's I, I imagine it's been a roller coaster ride for you since since you've been nominated, even I would say before your nomination, right? Just campaigning to get the nomination. Uh, I imagine it was very stressful to get to that point. Oh, it has been incredible. Um, I, I first announced back in December, on December 14th, I announced that I was running. And uh, it has been a, uh, it was just over five months total there uh, before the 24th of May when, when I was nominated. And it has been the longest five months of my life. But at the same time, the reason it was the longest five months is because it's been so action packed. Um, right. So it has been, you know, they say time flies when you're having fun. 
in some ways, maybe, but if you're having so much fun in so many different places and in so many different ways and doing so many different things, in one way, it feels like it's, it's passing by faster than you can process. In other ways, it feels like it's you know the longest five months of my life. But uh, it was incredibly exhilarating. I loved every second of it, even the challenging parts. Uh, I right. rose to the occasion on so many times, challenged myself in ways I didn't think was possible and uh and uh you know ran a different type of campaigning where instead of primarily doing delegate service which i i did some of that too but instead of trying to get individual delegates to vote for me i instead showed as a proof proof of concept the idea of going out into the public and bringing people into libertarianism which is what i've always been about it's why i why i i retired three years ago from my business and focused full-time on on libertarian messaging and and you know, running my shows and podcasts and everything else is to get the libertarian message out to the public. And that's what I wanted to leverage this campaign for. And on the strength of my ability to do that, uh, the delegates saw fit to pick me as their nominee. So here I am running for vice president now. Well, congratulations. Thank you. You know, it's an inspiring thing to see somebody just kind of follow them from the beginning, because I've been following your campaign as I was following everybody's campaign to see, you know, and get a feel for each candidate and who I would mm-hmm. like, you know, to right. to be nominated. And it's just an amazing experience to watch how like each candidate kind of grows or how they uh, kind of evolve, right? Uh, Over time, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a it's a great experience for, for me as well being, you know, I started this podcast like a year ago and then it got into the elections and just um, kind of talking about it with people and talking about it with people from different, I guess, ideology, or they come from different political side of, of the house or the spectrum uh, Mm -hmm. left and right about you, about all the other candidates. It's just been a, a great experience, I think. So now you're nominated it, Mm -hmm. you're there why should Republicans and Democrats vote for you and Joe? Well, I think if you look at what we are experiencing right now, uh, from the pandemic that happened because the CDC wouldn't allow healthcare workers and medical professionals to test and trace and treat people who had COVID-19 in the opening weeks of when we already knew it was here, uh, which made the pandemic far worse, and then the states having to step in and, and do all these crazy lockdowns, uh, where you weren't allowed to leave your house and like go to the park or go to the beach or go to a small business like a furniture store or to get your hair cut. But you definitely could go to Walmart and Target, and Costco and you could buy on Amazon and use Facebook, you know, all the big companies. That stuff was all safe. Crowding yourself into a gigantic store with, with a thousand other people at Walmart, that's fine. Going to the furniture store with four other people, absolutely not. Totally right. unsafe. Uh, and if you don't listen to us, we, you know, that they'll come and put you in cages where you're almost assured to get COVID-19. I think that that, and then you look at this police brutality, which you know both parties are part and parcel in, and the protests that have arisen as a result of that, and the brutalizing of the protesters while ignoring the entire rest of the city, which has allowed looters to step in and and you know uh, victimize the rest of the rest of the city. All of these things have happened with the Republicans and the Democrats having total control right. of all levers of government for over 150 years. The wars overseas, the ever-expanding cost of living, the ever, you know, inflation being this, you know, reality of life for the last 100 years. You know, they say uh, death and taxes are the only guaranteed thing. Well, thanks to the Republicans and Democrats and their Federal Reserve, inflation right. is now added to that too. Yeah. So you look at all of these things, 
It's the Republicans and the Democrats pretending to be mortal enemies, but really holding hand in hand and imposing themselves on you just a little bit more every year and creating the dystopia that we see around us. That is the logical conclusion of the Republicans and the Democrats, the politicians being in charge the way that they have. We in the Libertarian Party believe that you own yourself and your life and your body and your labor and your, the product of your labor, which is your property. And we believe that people shouldn't be able to take those things from you, not just because it's wrong to take from others, but also because it doesn't work. If I can take from you and everyone else that's watching and listening to this right now, as that whenever I see fit, I'm not going to be a good steward of what I have. I'm not going to make good choices with what I have because I can just take more from you if I want. And you might not be a good steward of what you have because you know I could come and take it from you at any moment. So you might as well use it. You don't have time to make good decisions. And what is our system other than Democrats and Republicans deciding that they can simply take from us whenever they see fit? We wish to dismantle that system and give you the power back and give you your money back and give you your control back and take the burdens and barriers that they've placed on you out of the way so you can live a better life. Absolutely. And I, like you said, this has been a a magnificent, magnificent year for, for libertarians to really shine. And I mentioned this like from the beginning and I, I wish that the down ballot candidates would do kind of take advantage, more advantage of this, um, which I don't see as much, but I mean, it's, it's a complete blessing, right? The COVID-19 and the, and these riots, as bad as it may sound, it's almost a blessing because now it really has opened the eyes of a lot of people of what our government, what the Republican Democrat party is all about. Plus they nominate these horrible candidates that just make That's the blessing. That's the blessing. So what we have happening right now, as you know, it's hard to call it a blessing because you look at just the 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 immeasurable harm that has happened to all of us to some degree, but especially to you know so many who have just had their lives ruined by this, and who have been having their lives ruined even before these these most recent examples. You know, entire demographics of people have been completely left behind entire marginalized identities and communities you know an entire subclass of the poor who are entrenched in poverty with no real way to get out of it um you you see that and this is the logical conclusion it turning into this sort of you know nightmare scenario uh on you know is sort of the logical conclusion of the bad centrally planned statist ideas of the republicans and democrats um the blessing if you will is that the Democrats and Republicans have so overplayed their hand that they've decided that they could impose the only two options being Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Right. If you wanted to look for any two people that you could present to the American people and say, hey, look, you know all the stuff you hate? <laughs> These two guys are as responsible for it as anyone else you look at joe biden's voting record the things he's done over the past what 60 years now right he is part and parcel of every single terrible thing about this government right and, and about what we are in, uh, what we're facing and donald trump when it, you know he's obviously been in charge of it for the past uh, almost four years now but it's worse than that he's been cheerleading it for decades, for the better part of 40 years, as long as we've known him. And he's been in the public eye for 40 years. He's been cheerleading police brutality. He's been cheerleading having people executed for things that they were wrongfully accused of and and thankfully uh, uh, were not convicted of. He has been cheerleading 
terrible ideas. He has been using government to, uh, using eminent domain to, you know, to, to force old widows to, to have their homes sold so he could have a, a casino built there. You know, he is the king of leveraging government to benefit him at the expense of, of the less fortunate, using the government to stop, uh, you know, veterans, wounded veterans from selling uh, goods out in front of his casino because he thought it sullied up the place. These are two <laughs> people who are personify this elitist nightmare system that we have. And what a great person to put in front of them. Joe Jorgensen, uh, an incredibly brilliant, well-accomplished, self-made woman, a senior lecturer at Clemson University, someone who can brilliantly and in an articulate way completely break down the problems that we're facing and why the other two morons on stage with her are the reason for it. Uh, and, and between the two of them, they can barely form a coherent sentence on their own now. They both yeah. have credible rape accusations, a long history of abuse that is on camera. Donald Trump's been you know, uh, proud of, of, of how he's victimized women in the past. Right. And I mean, we've all seen the videos of Joe Biden with people's kids and it's not yeah. pretty. And it's, 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 you know, people joke about it. I don't even like joking about it. It's disgusting. Right. It right? And so to have Joe Jorgensen in front of the two of them is such a beautiful contrast that people are going to be attracted to, 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 to want to kick out these two and go with someone who's actually, actually brilliantly articulating what the problem is. And of right. course to have me in between Mike Pence uh, who hasn't decided yet if he thinks that you know, if he still thinks that gay people should be electrocuted, and uh, and whoever has the misfortune of being Joe Biden's running mate, um, right. I think that if we can get on that debate stage, it's all over. I know, and you know we really hope that you can get on the debate stage with those uh, candidates. It's they're not going to make it easy. They're they you know they're going to do the impossible to not allow you guys um, on the stage with them, and. I think oh, yeah. even with that, I, I kind of forecast from what I've seen so far is that you guys are going to have a really good year. Even if you didn't win, I think you're going to surpass Gary Johnson easily just because the amount of people that are like, man, is there really no other option than these two <laughs> candidates? And here, libertarians are really, you know, riding this wave and say, here, Here's your alternative, and people are actually considering it. I think and I saw, we have, and we ahead. have actual libertarians running this time. In the past, because we thought that you know we couldn't run on our own merits, or we were convinced at times we were told that we couldn't run on our own merits, we'd bring in someone who was libertarian leaning, and I'm certainly not going to bash them, but they weren't really, really libertarian, and they weren't doctrinaire libertarians, and so if they were challenged on stuff, and you know, given gotcha questions, they might kind of lean away from us being presented as a true clean break from the Republicans and Democrats. Right. Well, this is a time when everyone is looking for a clean break from the Republicans or Democrats. They're not everyone, but such an impressively, a record large number, a super majority of people would love a viable alternative, which right. is why I believe if we can get that 15% in the, in the polls and get on that debate stage, I think it's all over. Yeah, but like you definitely. said, we're going to run to win. We're going right. to run to win this election, and we believe we have a very, very credible and viable path to do so. It, at the very least, we will bring in more people to the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Movement and earn more. You were talking about down-ballot before. We will earn more votes, not just for ourselves, but those down-ballot races than I believe we ever have before. And we've been very, very active with down-ballot. What, what we heard from the party from 2016 
from people that ran in that cycle was that they didn't really get a lot of love and support from the top of the ticket. Right. We are lavishing them with love and support. <laughs> we are constantly promoting them on our social media. We are pulling people up because here's the thing at the end of the day, buddy, we're not going to just be able to do this on ourselves. We right. are not just Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen. We are the Libertarian Party. And we right. have amazing solutions, not just in the White House and not just in the federal level, for that matter, at the state level, at the local level, at every single level, we have great solutions to fix the problems that have been, been either created or made worse by the Republicans and the Democrats. Right. So we want to pull up everyone because not only are we a party moving forward, but also there are a lot of other races that even if we aren't able to win, we're still able to get victories for them. Their races are even more winnable than ours. And if we are able to win and we pulled all them up, when we win, we'll have victories across the board. We'll have an incredible banner year because we didn't just run for ourselves. We ran for the entire party. We ran for a movement to replace statism with libertarianism, replace authoritarianism with you know, a, a less coerced, more voluntary, and, and more common sense and beneficial way of doing things. Right. So my next question would be, every VP has had some sort of role um, mm -hmm. while they were in, right? We see uh, Joe Biden, he was more of a uh kind of cheerleader for obama right right uh we see mike pence i don't really know what mike pence is to to donald trump to be honest he's, he's just he, he's just there yeah exactly he just seems like the a, role the role of mike pence is to make a lot of evangelical christians feel a little bit less cringy about yes, supporting exactly. a casino owner who you know cheats on his pregnant wife with porn stars and brags right. about it so exactly. And that's, that's kind of his, his role. role. So yeah. what do you see as your role as a VP uh, under the, the Jorgensen administration? As a VP candidate or if once we're if, actually elected? Yeah, once you're actually elected. Okay. So I think, you know, the role of the vice president largely is obviously the only constitutionally prescribed role of the vice president is to preside over the, uh, the, the, the Senate as the president of the Senate, which basically means that if there's a, a tie in the Senate, then I go in and, and, and vote for that. And obviously I would vote in whatever way would advance liberty on that right. given, given uh, legislation, or at least reduce the, 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 the uh, uh, reduce the chance of liberty not being advanced or, or, or being rescinded or declined. Right. Um, I would also, uh, also, uh, God forbid, if something were to happen to uh, Dr. Jorgensen, then I would fill in as vice, as president, even if it were temporarily. Hopefully, that will never happen, and you know, she's even in a temporary way. And uh, and and then, you know, traditionally, the role has been, and I think that this would be a role that I would that I would fulfill, is to be there on uh, to be able to give. Uh, you know, advice and and uh, on on and 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 counsel on different subjects of strategy and and policy and so forth, and to just be there as just a general uh, you know counsel to to uh, to her. Um, also, uh, I you know, there's a bully pulpit that comes with being vice president, and I would use that bully pulpit on every single issue, on every single bit of legislation, on every single uh, subject facing the country, uh, and on everything else. And I would I put a very clear line in the sand. And on one side of that line would be me and Joe and everyone working with us to remove the boot from the neck of the American people as they uh, you know, try to find solutions to the problems that they face that often are either imposed upon them or made worse by the bad ideas of the Republicans 
Democrats. And on the other side of that line would be those who are working against us and trying to keep that boot on the neck of the people and allowing for continued, needless, unnecessary harm for no other reason than to preserve their own power and influence and that of their their favored cronies. Um, I think that would largely be my role, support uh, the president, be there uh, on, on behalf of what we want to do in the Senate when needed, and to use the bully pulpit to spread the message of liberty. So essentially, you're, what your job is supposed to be as a VP <laughs> yeah. in comparison yes, exactly. to the uh, past VPs that we've had. Exactly. And, and if, also, if Joe, were to, if, uh, if, if Joe were to appoint me to something and have me head something up, then I would be the head right. of whatever. You know, obviously, I, I would serve at her, at her discretion and disposal. So if she right. decided uh, that there was something she wanted, you know, a panel or something she wanted me to head up or something she wanted me to look into, basically, I'd be there at her disposal as needed. Right. Can you imagine if Pence ever had to be president? <laughs> oh, I mean, honestly, after Trump, I, I, would that be worse or better? I don't even <laughs> right. know. I mean, I, I think in some ways it would be, it would be less frightening because he, it seems at least seems slightly more competent, but then his competency is for something that I totally disagree with. Right. He's, I think even more libertarian or more authoritarian and more, uh, and more, um, uh, statist than Donald Trump is. I think he's even more of a control freak than Trump is. Yes. Uh, so I don't even know what to tell you there. I, right. I certainly, I, I, you know, I, I hate to say, oh, I hope Trump remains president until November, but I, I'm not sure the alternative there is better. Right. And who knows what uh, Joe Biden will pick. She's, um, Joe, I think, you know, the, the increasing uh, uh, consensus is that he might com- pick uh, Kamala Harris. Oh, my gosh. Which would be a this would be the perfect example of the tone deaf, tin eared decisions of the Democratic right. Party. Right. So yeah, why would they pick her? Because she's right. a black woman. Exactly. And yet look at who they're picking. They're picking someone who is one of the most brutal prosecutors in American history, someone who intentionally and illegally withheld exculpatory evidence that almost, by her withholding it, it almost resulted in someone being executed, put on death row for execution for a crime they didn't commit. And she knew that the evidence would be exonerating in nature, and she was ordered to release it, and she tried not to. That is the kind of person she is. The, the people who are the marginalized communities, communities of color, you know, people who know what she's about and the people who have followed her record know that she is the last person that she would want, that they would want in that role. And right. yet the Democrats pick her because they look at her and go, black woman. Okay, perfect. That's her. Yeah. They, picking Kamala Harris for VP. Uh, and I always forget if it's Kamala or Kamala, but picking her for VP is the equivalent of all the, the, the congressional Democrats that wore the kinte cloths and kneeled down on the ground while ignoring actual legislation to try to reduce the police state. For example, Libertarian Congressman Justin Amash's bill to end qualified immunity. They didn't care about that. They just wanted the photo op of them kneeling right. down and looking down at the ground and you know showing how in solidarity they were with the people whose police state that they voted for were brutalizing in the streets right. in that same moment. I was listening to Joe Rogan this morning and they were talking about uh, with his guests, I don't remember who it was, but uh, they were talking about who the possible running mate for Joe Biden would be. And one of the things I kind of took away from is one, it's not really Joe Biden picking him because he doesn't have the mental capacity to pick anybody, I think. Uh, And two, they're, they're probably going to pick the most corrupt person they can, they can pick. 
and which would someone be- they can control because of their because of their past corruption and scandals. Right. Yeah, and, and you know he's already said it's going to be a woman. I think it's probably going to be a, a woman of color. Um, right. and there's not anything wrong with that. I think if they right. pick a woman of color, that's great. I think if they pick someone like a Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, I forget which one. If they if they right. pick uh, Ms. Harris, Senator Harris, uh, because she's a black woman and ignoring the fact that she is a perfect example of the injustice of our so-called justice system. Right. That will just be a perfect example of what we're talking about here. Just they're looking at identity politics over the actual identity politics, not for the advancement of the people of those identities, but identity politics for tokenism, for the absolute mo- right. worst and most cynical reasons to engage in such a exactly. thing. Identity politics to try to promote the, 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 the advance or, or protect the people of those identities who are being acutely harmed by the state and recognizing what's happening in those communities and those injustices. Absolutely. Picking someone because they, they check off the right token uh, uh, check marks, uh, check boxes that they need to check off, even though they are part of that victimization of marginalized communities. That's, you know, that's what we've come to expect from Republicans and Democrats. Right. And it's sad that the people that follow the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and the establishment in general, you know, they, they're not trying not to use words that might necessarily offend somebody, but they're just not educated enough, right? Because the fact that they would vote for a Joe Biden and Kamala Harris ticket because she's a black woman, but not know the history, is just kind of a sad reality of this country. A lot, that- of, a lot of them know the history. That's, that decision is going to blow back a lot. A lot of people know the history. Right. Um, and it was brought up during be- debates too, right? Yeah. It was brought up yeah. when uh, Tulsi yeah. Gabbard brought it up, which I think would have you know, if Democratic Party was actually smart and really did want to be more what they used to be would be to pick Tulsi Gabbard, who is also a woman of color and a woman. They're um, not going to pick someone who's right. against the military industrial complex. Exactly. exactly. The, the, the Democrat and Republican parties serve to advance the interests of very powerful cronies, right. the military industrial complex, the police to prison complex, all of these different crony systems that have been created uh, and have basically uh, surrounded themselves in, ensconced themselves in government. This revolving door between politicians and lobbyists and policymakers, where they never really have to provide value to the market because they've imposed a system where all of the true money and power is centralized into the federal government and then to a lesser extent to the state governments. They know that they don't need to patronize the rest of us. The real money is in patronizing government. Right. And so that's what they do. They patronize government. Uh, and we seek to go in and dismantle that so that now, if you want to actually get wealthy, the money's back in the people. The money's back with the consumer. The money's back with us. And so now if someone wants to do well, they need to patronize us. But the way the current system is, the military industrial complex is not going to allow either of their parties, the Democrat or Republican parties, to put forward someone who is strongly against continuing the wars. You're not going to see someone other than the Libertarian Party uh, that is pushing for ending the wars, bringing the troops home, and keeping only a military that is sufficient to defend us against actual aggression. Uh, and that is what Joe Jorgensen proposes. I want to back up back to what you mentioned in the beginning. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you retired from your business to recruit or bring in more people into the libertarian movement. Uh, right. Something that I noticed with your campaign when you were campaigning for VP is 
you you had a way in gaining the support and winning over hearts and minds more from the left, which is a very different kind of habit that the Libertarian Party has always had, which was always to try to win over. Try to find disaffected Republicans, right? Right. right. And I noticed that you kind of did, uh, you know, you, you were winning both sides, but more so from the left. So and, actually, believe it or not, if you do the, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to. Yeah, no, go you. ahead. Go ahead. So uh, if you look at the numbers, I got slightly more from the left than the right, but it was actually fairly balanced. The reason right. that people perceive that I was getting mostly from the left is because I was the only VP candidate getting anyone from the left. Right. And so, and so that is what it was, is that I would go to Bernie Sanders victory speech. I would go to liberal arts college campuses, both online and offline. I would go into uh, housing projects and do door knocking tours. Uh, and I would do these things because I recognized that these people are no more Democrat than Republicans are Republican. They don't know there's another option. A lot of them don't vote. Or if they do vote, they just hold their nose and pick whichever side in that, in that case looks more, less toxic. And if you're a college student in a liberal arts college and the general culture there is more progressive, right. and you're told that the Republicans are worse than the Democrats, and you've been completely left behind by the system, and you're told that the only, the, the only people that are actually speaking to you are the Democrats, and that's by design. Right. The Republicans don't want to put up someone who speaks to them because that's not how it works. See, it, we would know that the Republicans and Democrats weren't working hand in hand if they actually tried to actively go for each other's people. They don't. Right. The reason that the Republicans stay in their lane, which is increasingly just white boomer identity politics and that the democrats are in their lane which is trying to speak for the marginalized and the youth and 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 for you know progression for progressives and so forth the reason they stay in their lanes is because they aren't there to try to grow their parties or win over from the other side too much they're there to make sure that the two of them are occupying the entirety of society so that no one in civil society realizes that there's another option. They are always being told, if I don't stick with this side that I don't really like all that much, this other side is going to win and I hate them. Right. Right. So that's what the, that's why we have the division in politics and in society is because it's to set up a rope-a-dope here in order to distract from the fact that the Republicans and Democrats have to make their rhetoric and their divisiveness wider and wider apart so that they can present this narrative that the Republicans and the Democrats have never disagreed more than the entire history of American <laughs> history to distract from the fact that in reality, the Republicans and Democrats have never been more united than ever right. in each new election cycle, that much more entrenched together in pushing forward the terrible system they've created with that, that they have had exclusive control over for over 150 years. Absolutely. And so it creates these, you know, they say there's two Americas. They're creating the two Americas in order to distract people from the fact that if they just took a step back, they'd think, wait a second, this is the same thing about, you know, they're speaking <laughs> different rhetoric to their respective bases, but once they get elected, they're doing the same damn thing. Exactly. AT&T knows that, Walmart knows that, Amazon knows that, all the major companies know that. That's why they donate almost equally to both of them because right. they know that it doesn't matter who gets into office as long as they're patronizing them the way they need to. Right. And so I would go into those spaces 
and disabuse them of the notion that uh, Democrats had their had their best interests. Just like I'd go into Republican spaces and disabuse them of that notion that Republicans had their best interests by simply, you know, listening to. And here's how you do that, because that's the that's the underlying question. How do you reach people who aren't already libertarian leaning and who actually at first glance might be kind of turned off by libertarian ideas? Libertarians are better than, the, as, as my friend Scott Horton likes to say, libertarians are better than the left on the issues that the left cares about. Libertarians right. are better than the right on the issues that the right cares about. And I add, we're better than the center on the issues the center cares about because we have a good idea. We have a system of good ideas and solutions. And the way you present those solutions is through empathy. So you, you go to where people are, not just in their spaces, but from their precepts. So for example, if I'm talking to a college student and all I'm hearing from them is that their healthcare is too expensive and so they want universal healthcare and their college is too expensive and so they want free college and their and their their student debt is crushing them and so they want student debt relief or they just want free college so that they, they don't have to worry about it anymore and they want this stuff. I'm not hearing I want free stuff because I'm selfish. I'm hearing I can't afford to live and I'm exactly. scared. Yes. This system has completely left me be behind. And when I talk to my parents and grandparents, they tell me outdated stuff that does not work now. I can't just work my way through school unless I'm making six figures a year, which I probably won't even be making once I have my degree. And I certainly won't be making it now. I can't buy a house after my first few years of being out because the cost of housing has gone through the roof. Right. Now we know why all that is. We know that that's because of the Federal Reserve driving up the cost of living to the point to where the U.S. dollar is worth two cents on the dollar of what it was 100 years ago. We know that it's because of the tax burdens that have, and, the, and the regulatory burdens and, and the impositions and the subsidies that have been put in place and the mandates and everything else that have ra radically driven up the cost of things while depressing, keeping wages relatively the same, while inflation you know, st steals from your values so that you're actually making less every year. We know all that. And right. it's too much to put on them all at once because you can't throw a system at someone. But what you can do is hit them where they're most acutely at. In, in sales, we call it finding their pain points. And I hate that term because it sounds like we're manipulating pain. We're not. Right. We're just seeing where they hurt so we can propose our solutions. So for right. college students, I'm hearing that stuff and I go, hey, listen, what if instead of having to go to school for four to eight years and spend, you know, run up five or six figures in student debt, you could just apprentice or intern with someone until you reached a level of, of excellence or mastery of whatever it is you want to do for a living that yeah. you could start doing it professionally. Right. And they said, that sounds great, but I can't do that. I said, but why? And they said, because I have to go to school. I said, but why? Right. And they said, because I have to get my degree. And I said, yeah, but why? Exactly. And then they realized because government arbitrarily created that system to benefit cronies who are already in positions of wealth and influence right. at their expense. Yeah. They got it. And in that moment, we turned people into libertarians. Every time I went to these colleges and these housing projects and everywhere else, we signed up dozens of people to the Libertarian Party with very small teams of people that we were doing as a proof of concept. We signed up more people than the number of people that we had out in left-leaning, Democrat-heavy spaces because no one had ever talked to them. Right. And no one had told them that this entire system was created at their expense and once they heard that actually that's not true the people in the housing projects they knew it from the beginning they were completing right. my sentences they just didn't know there was anyone they could vote for so that one was even easier i'd show up yeah. and say hey we both know there's no justice in the system and they go who are you telling i live that and right. so i just started listening to what they had to say and i go hey listen we want to get rid of all those licenses occupational licensing laws and end the war on drugs those two things 
and get, oh, and get the police off your back by ending the militarization. Those three things signed us up multiple people. It was even easier yes. than the college students. And we've yeah. been told, oh, uh, 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 people living in housing projects, especially, you know, uh, African-Americans, uh, you know, poor African-Americans who are living in housing projects, they'll never vote for us. They want their welfare. They don't want their welfare. Right. That's all they have. Right. They have been robbed for 400 years. Exactly. Including now. Right. And they have no ability to get out of it between the occupational licensing and the war on drugs and the, the, the casual criminalization of them starting as adolescents on every single minor thing they do, getting higher sentences so that by the time they're our age, they're used, many of them are used to jail. Right. That's intended yes. for poor people and especially poor people of color and other poor marginalized people. That's mm -hmm. intended. Yeah. And we could get into a whole thing about that too. I won't, I won't rant anymore. But the <laughs> bottom line is use empathy. Right. empathetic messaging empathetic engaging and dynamic messaging to reach people and draw them in by going where their precepts are agreeing with their concerns agreeing with what they want to see in society and then proposing something that actually works and makes common sense but first you have to actually show you care before you start giving ideas and that's how i've done it and, and that's the way i do it i mean when i ran for city council here in san diego I was actually shocked. I was surprised of uh, the people that actually decided to support me versus the people that I thought would support me and did right, it. Right, right, right. Um, you know, and in the district that I was running was a uh, higher class district. It's known for you know where all the uh, people with that are executives at corporations live at, and mm -hmm. you know that work at. Comcast that work at, uh, you know, uh, Samsung and all these, like at the executive offices, that's where they all right, live. Right. I just happen to live there, not because I'm any of those people. It's just because I got lucky with a job that put me, you know, as essentially their servant there. So, um, <laughs> you know, I just got lucky. But right, right. when I try to run there and I no longer live in that district, um, you know, I went to the college because there was a college nearby as well, and uh, Mira Mesa College. And, uh, you know, one of my friend's daughters said, hey, just come to my college and, and talk. You know, it, it won't hurt. And I was like, I, I don't think these kids are going to want to to listen to me. You know, they're so entrenched in the uh, in the Bernie uh, movement, and there's no way. I, I was actually surprised how much more support I got from them. Uh, and how much more they would have rather had me be their their um, city councilman than right, right, right. than the people outside of the college when I would go because to the, you, because you reached them and you made a connection with them right which you don't have to do in person but that's a good way to do it too you right. made connections with people you presented yourself as someone who cared right who could be trusted who was listening and who had ideas and solutions. And right. those four things are what it takes to actually be able to get people to vote for you on, on not just on a small scale, on a wide scale and everything else. Because especially in this environment where we're told that, you know, if you vote third party, it's a waste of your vote. You're throwing your vote away. But here's the thing. Right now, it's easy to tell people, now throwing your vote away is continuing to vote for the people who have imposed all of this on us, who are responsible for everything we're going through right now. Right. That's a wasted vote. But that's just winning the narrative of the wasted vote. The next question is, all right, well, why vote for you then? And that's when you have 
to present yourself as someone who is listening to what they have to say, agreeing with their precepts. We are libertarians. We don't often, sometimes we have problems agreeing with people, including other libertarians. And right. so when someone says something like, for example, with healthcare, healthcare is so expensive. It should just be free. I just did a podcast uh, two, two interviews ago. I've, I've got them lined <laughs> up one after the next. Two interviews ago where someone said, you know, we're the only country in the free world that doesn't have free healthcare. And it's absolutely ridiculous what we're having to pay. I said, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous what we have to pay. The cost of healthcare in this country is absurd. Right. The US government is spending more money per patient than all but a handful of other countries. And if you factor in what we're paying over and above that, we're paying something like three times the average for, a de for developed countries per patient on healthcare. Right. And we're not getting much better services for it. Our healthcare system is an absolute mess. And she's saying, yeah, that's right. And then I explain the history of what got us here. FDR's wage caps, the introduction of comprehensive health insurance, the introduction of Medicaid and Medicare, the introduction of Medicare Part D, the introduction of Obamacare, the introduction of all of these things. And then, the, and then what, what happened as a result of them, the red tape that was created, the cronies that came in, the IP right. protections for pharmaceutical companies for them to continue participating, which has allowed venture capitalists to step in and buy pharmaceutical companies, gut them, jack up the prices on all the products because of our ridiculous patent laws that make it illegal for you to go and find a drugs elsewhere and, make, and, and allow companies to keep patents on drugs that have been around effectively for decades, which is why insulin costs a fortune, even though it's been around since yeah. our grandparents were you know, before our grandparents were alive and, and, and why, you know, EpiPens and stuff like that are increasingly expensive, even though the drug itself costs pennies to make. Right. All of this stuff is imposed upon us. You know, uh, doctors, the, uh, small town doctors are no longer a thing. They're all part of these larger health management systems that, you know, because you have to, right. in order to be able to comply with all the red tape. Yes. And, all of that has driven up the costs and driven down the access. And that's before we even get into things like uh, certificate of need laws and things like that. We could spend days talking about yeah. this. But what I was able to do with her in that moment, I already disabused her of the notion that I was someone who didn't care about her health care because right. I already agreed with her. I didn't get into this whole, well, yeah, well, those other countries, you know, it costs a lot over there. And, you know, they say it's free, but it's not because she doesn't care about that. Right. She cares about the fact that she's worried about being able to afford health care for herself and her children. That's what she yeah. cares about. She's not an ideologue. She's right. not like us. She's not, she doesn't have these strongly held political beliefs. She's worried about health care. Right. So we talked to her about health care, and I agree with her. Our health care system's a joke. Yeah. It's way too expensive. And yeah. then I talked about free market solutions to healthcare, that this is not a free market, that this is a government imposed healthcare system that is designed for two things. One, to benefit their cronies and two, to make us eventually go, okay, fine, just give us single payer healthcare. So that right. now they have total control of our healthcare and can use that as an excuse to control our choices. Because right. now they don't just say, well, you shouldn't have sugary foods because they're bad for you. Now they can say you shouldn't have sugary foods because you're costing the taxpayer, right? which now the government's controlling your every action, right? not because it's healthy to you, because they can. And what do you want to bet the cronies are going to find a way to make a buck off of that too? Oh, yeah. So by saying that to her, she's now in favor of free market healthcare. And right. she was a Bernie supporting single payer healthcare supporter. <laughs> and it took four minutes of me empathizing with her to switch that. Nice. That's how we do it. Yeah. I think stories are are great to really uh, yes. garner support, right? Uh, we had here in San Diego, and it's funny because I knew somebody personally that would go to this doctor. He was part of a 
uh, upper healthcare system, but mm-hmm. he was on the side going and helping people that didn't yeah. have insurance and was just charging them very small fees just to help, you know, pay the gas, pay the whatever. His, his actual cost for doing it, right? Right. Uh, and, you know, it would be something like 25 bucks, 50 bucks for a visit. And if he had some samples that he could give them for medication just to, you know, help them immediately, he would yep. give them. Mm-hmm. He got shut down. He lost his license. Do you know why? Because Medicare made that illegal. Yes. In 2003. So now it all became... these people that were seeing him that could afford that mm-hmm. are no longer able to afford healthcare anymore. When people say without government, who would make healthcare affordable? We'd we say us and the government wouldn't make it illegal yes. to give people affordable healthcare, even in the midst of all this red tape and costs and everything else. You're the person you knew that doctor. And I, I knew a doctor here locally who was doing the same and he had to stop. It was either 2002 or 2003. Maybe it was, maybe it was 01. It was in the early 2000s. Right. where Medicare p- passed a regulation saying that you had to charge every single patient the exact same thing. Right. Why? 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 Because they didn't want people who went, well, my healthcare is affordable because my doctor works with me. Yeah. They made it illegal right. for doctors to work with their patients. Yeah. They said it was for equality. It wasn't for equality. They wanted everyone to suffer. Right. They wanted to take away the ability of your doctor to give you better care because now you hate your doctor. You know how many people tell me that the problem with the cost of healthcare is that doctors are so greedy? And I say, no. And I, and I I talk about the healthcare management companies and the, and the, and the, and the, you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies, that's where the real greed is. And and obviously the politicians and their cronies, that's where the real multi, multi multi-billion dollar trillion dollar greed is. They're worried about their doctor. My doctor rides in a, in a Mercedes. And I'm like, yeah, but they also have six figures of student debt. And they also, uh, you know, the reason they only give you 10 minutes of their time is their health management company won't allow them not to. And they're buried in debt. And yeah, they drive well and have good cars because they provide a very necessary service and spent years learning how to do it. But they're not living as large as you think they are. I have a lot of doctor friends who they're wage slaves like the rest of us at this point. And it's because of the system that's been imposed upon them. And they would love to be able to cut a deal for you, but it's not legal. Right. Exactly. So uh, if you can just in one minute, just tell us where do you see if, if elected, where do you see the administration in four years? If we get elected, where, where do I see us in four years? I see yeah. that the troops have been brought home. The wars have been ended. We are maintaining whatever military is necessary to protect us against, uh, you know, a th- aggression or invasion. That will be a very small military. Uh, and it will, and the, the, uh, the immeasurable harm that's being done overseas will end. The PTSD epidemic among soldiers will end because they're not getting PTSD anymore. They're not getting traumatic brain injuries anymore. They're not getting addicted to opioids and having massive amounts of, uh, of, of suicide. The suicide epidemic of, of veterans ends because we're taking care of our veterans. We're actually not creating veterans in the first place. We're not sending them overseas to, to fight and die and kill and come back damaged. Uh, we end the war on drugs and free the people, the victims of those of of that war, and and get them out of prisons so that and and, and remove those felony records so that they can actually move ahead in life. We end the militarization of the police. We defund. We federally defund the militarized police and 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 end these programs. End civil asset forfeiture. End qualified immunity. End. Uh, 
uh, there's so many rants I want to get into right now, but I can't. No and all of these, <laughs> and all of these terrible programs that militarize the police that the Democrats and the Republicans have imposed upon us, so that the rift between the police and the public, especially among marginalized communities, can finally heal. So that when people see a police officer, they aren't scared that they're going to be caught on some petty offense and thrown in jail. They're relieved because they know that they're only there to protect our lives and our rights and our property and our liberties. And healing that rift and that divide and getting rid of the bad cops so that we can truly say that, you know, there are only a couple of bad apples and we root them out using the Department of Justice as a department of actual justice, going after using it to go after abusive government officials and abusive politicians and abusive officers who are robbing Americans of their constitutional rights. Um, you know, ending the war on the border, freeing the people from the camps and allowing reopening America to as much trade and migration as we as American individuals want to associate with. Um, and just in general, removing the, the uh, educational choices of parents and their children out of the hands of the politicians and their cronies and bureaucrats and into the hands of the parents and the teachers for the benefit of those children. Doing the same with healthcare, taking it out of the hands of those cronies and politicians and bureaucrats, putting it back in the hands of patients and doctors where it always should have been a freer and happier and safer america where people and their children and their families and loved ones and communities have a brighter future than we could have ever seen before that's what joe jorgensen and i propose and with your support and your vote in november we are going to do just that in washington where can people find you so we are on uh, joej2020.com. That's joj2020.com. Um, uh, my social media is uh, on Twitter at Real Spike Cohen. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash literally Spike Cohen. Or if you just search for Spike Cohen, uh, you'll find me that way. Um, and uh, if you look for Joe Jorgensen on any uh social media platform you'll find her she's on youtube she's on facebook she's on twitter she's on instagram she's on everything i have an instagram and a tiktok coming soon but not quite nice. yet and uh we could we appreciate your support uh if you go to joj2020.com uh, uh please fill out our volunteer form we'd love to have you on the team and if you are able to we would appreciate your contribution if you go to joj2020.com slash contribute uh, any donation you make would be greatly appreciated so thank you awesome thank you for being on I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time.